0: All right, Facebook family, we have a special treat on today. Your blended family guy, Marcus Holmes, has one of his best friends in the industry regarding leadership, regarding fierce conversation, regarding um, how, to, how to engineer your success. It's not a bunch of uh, luck, it's a whole lot of intention. It's a whole lot of hard work. It's a whole lot of belief in eliminating all those limiting beliefs. And while you're at it, being able to tell your friends or your colleagues or people you don't know the truth so that they be, they can become better. I have Max Story on. This is a guy I met um, during our our, our time uh, in the beginning when John Maxwell was just kicking off his sales program and uh, met Max Story. and. I immediately gravitated towards this guy. Um, As a matter of fact, him and his son, I believe were also getting certified Um, and his son is doing extremely well too. Man, it's going to be an awesome program. So guys, here's what we're talking about. How did Mac break the code? It's not as difficult as you think. It's not, it's not shrouded in secrecy but we're going to touch on how he went from a very successful job in corporate America, why he left corporate America and why he started his entrepreneurial track of leadership and coaching so he could actually go back into corporate America and fix it from a perspective than most people would often think. And that's the, that's the point of this conversation. How did he do it? How did he do it and still have a successful marriage? How did he do it and still and still make it work and, and be blended? Because right with this is the blended family playbook. How do you manage success without leveraging other things that are important? So and, and and need to be prioritized. So Mac, it's it's gonna be a good one. We got some good stuff. This is the guy that that team I go to when I have some questions and I want a real answer. Mac will check me. Mac will check me even when I haven't asked him but because he's a friend and that's what real friends do that's why he's here um we're going to touch on a story but I want Mac to go ahead and give you a little background about himself um and it's just uh it's going to be a good show so Mac give us a little background about you where you're from where where, where you got your start and um kind of give us the story the background on on you
1: okay well, well thank you for having me on the uh, blended Family Guy show, man. I appreciate and what you're doing out there, and it's, it's a privilege to be here. But uh, one thing you know, I have to tell folks because you're you're so well-spoken, Marcus. So one thing I always have to tell any new audience is that I'm bilingual, right? And, and a lot of people think, "Oh, you speak Spanish?" No, no, I don't, not, not Spanish. It's English and country. So, so, so everybody's got to know that up front. I'm okay with it. I know you're okay with it. So I hope you audience. So. I'm okay with it, my friend. I am okay with it that's my opening line. Every time we speak somewhere, I tell everybody I'm bilingual. So, so I come from, you know, you're out in Houston, that big metropolis of a monstrous city. That's where you're at. And I don't know really where you come from originally, but, uh, I come from a little town in Alabama called Tallahassee and, uh, about 6,000 people in, when I graduated high school in 1987, it's still 6,000 people, maybe 5,000 now, (laughs) but, uh, so my background's blue collar, uh, started out factory work, I actually went and joined the Marine Corps infantry reserve unit right out of high school. And then, then it's one of them things, Marcus, you know, how do people always say, you know, how do you get somewhere? What's your passion? What's your path? And the reason I got into manufacturing was because my bunk made at infantry school at Camp Geiger, North Carolina's father was a supervisor in a manufacturing plant. So I got to know him. And when when we got out and we got back doing our reserve duties and he got me a job down there. And, and that's how I got into manufacturing. So the first 10 years was frontline entry level manufacturing position. Uh, about age 26, I started going to college finally. And uh, then I started working my way up and getting promoted. Got promoted 14 times in those 20 years in my corporate world from 1988 to 2008. And then I uh, had worked my way up to reporting to the plant manager. And I was over process improvement, continuous improvement, lean, Kaizen, If some, some people are probably familiar with that. And then also uh, near the end, they, they, they put me in a role as quality manager. And that's, that's why I checked out. I didn't want to be a quality manager. <laughs> and I yeah. had a passion for process improvement. So I said, I'm staying. Now I finally, that was when I really had found out what I was passionate about. No, nobody was going to steer me anymore. I decided I'm steering myself. And that's 2008. I showed how smart I was in the middle of the great recession. I quit my job <laughs> and, and, and started out my own consulting business and did that for four years. And that's during that consulting business is when I found my passion, really my purpose. My passion was process improvement, but my purpose I found was developing people, unleashing people's potential and helping them achieve things they didn't know they could achieve. And then in 2012, I gave up everything for the second time. So 2008, I gave up my income. I'd worked 20 years to get, and then actually by 2012, I had increased my income by, four times what I had given up in 2008 and then I gave it all up again, went to zero. And so now, you know, since 2012, the end of 2012, this is what I've been doing full time, writing, speaking, and I do some coaching and mentoring, but mainly speaking, you know, from the stage and, and training in the corporate world. That's a, that's a long version of, of, of uh, a lot of years, transformation.
0: You know, um, Mac, I think the reason why, Um, What you've done, I think is going to truly resonate with people. And this is why I wanted you on. Um, I'm glad you you uh, tagged the people on LinkedIn. I'm going to try to get uh, this video uploaded to LinkedIn is because, Mac, there are so many people out there that are disenfranchised with their current position, but they're afraid to make the leap. And I always do it against the backdrop of myself, right? So um, me and Mac have talked for years, Facebook family. And you know, I'd say, Mac, this is what I'm doing. I gotta hedge my bets, you know I got I got kids, you know, Camille was uh, still what she was in uh, I think tenth grade when me and Mac met. Um, yeah, wow, she was in she was in ninth, tenth grade, major what had just or had hadn't been born yet. But I was like, Mac, I want to do what you're doing, but I got to I got to I got to manage that a little, little better because I got a different path. path." But I'm going to tell you guys, it can be done. And whatever the path, I want you to understand something Mac said. He wanted to be true to himself. And that passion, when he found it, it ignited him. And we're going to touch on how he became maniacally focused on. Blue collar leadership because that's what we're going to be leaning into, and how he honed in on a passion, and wow, the opportunities have been amazing. So, Matt, <laughs> you, 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 so I want to get this right. You quit in two thousand eight. Um, you were one of the the best, probably in the country, if not the world, um, in terms of lean certifications, right? Um, you quit uh, your job, and then. For four years, you did consulting, and then you quit again. So, help yeah. people understand that. Explain that. Explain that. Both of them. Both of them. Bo- both of them, if you can, so people yeah. understand.
1: Okay, now if you want to interrupt me, because I get, I get, I tell you know, if you're gonna have a last name story, you better be able to tell a story. You know what I mean, Marcus? Okay, All right. no problem. Ria <laughs> tells everybody she married me for my names, but, but uh, so, so really, what happened was. Uh, 2005 is when I started doing lean manufacturing and process improvement in in the corporate world. And I'd always loved process improvement. But when I got into that, I really, really liked it. So 2005, I started reading process improvement books all the time about lean and and, uh, Toyota and, you know, all this stuff, the competency side, basically, of process improvement. And what I quickly realized was they always talked about the people the people, it's all about the people, but not just letting them be involved, but truly respecting the people. That's actually one of the pillars of lean is respect for the people. The other pillar is continuous improvement. So for basically, I started learning in 2005 by 2008. And I didn't know this at the time. I learned this later, but we, we took a plant, a manufacturing plant that was minus 3% gross profit margin to plus 35% gross profit margin. I mean, it's part of a, a multi-billion dollar company that's why it could kind of lose money like that but they decided hey we need to fix this thing so we started down the lean path so i got passionate about leading these process improvement teams and about april of 2008 my boss who, who's the greatest leader that i've ever personally worked for in my career i write positively about him even though he'd done this to me i still love him <laughs> but but the quality manager resigned and so I was the lean manager reporting to the plant manager. And he says, Hey, and he'd been talking to me a long time. He said, Hey, can, can, you know, are you interested in being a quality manager? I think they were probably grooming me. Actually, I know they were later. I found out they grooming me to be a plant manager, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be the lean manager. And so the, the day that he told me, he called me in his office. He said, Hey Max, stop, in my, stop in front in my office. Uh, when I close the door, you know, when they say close the door, something's coming, right? He, he said the, the quality manager resigned, and I'd like you to take over the quality manager role and the lean manager role. He said, what do you think, Matt? And his name's Jim. I said, Jim, he may be watching tonight. I said, Jim, I'd be glad to, sarcastically, right? Because I done told him I didn't want to do it. But at that moment, I knew that's what he wanted me to do. And this one thing I tell you, I tell everybody when I speak, I tell your listeners right now, if you're going to be on the team, you need to be on the field playing. And so... If I'm going to be on the team, I'm going to do what the coach wants me to do. Right? So I told him, I said, I'm glad to do it. What I can't tell you is how long I'm going to do it because I don't want to do it. But why I'm doing it, I'm going to be the best at it that I can be. That's what I told him. And so we talked about it. You know, I left for the day. He saved that for me at the end of the day. So I go home, think about it, I guess. So I leave that evening. I usually come to work at seven o'clock. The next morning I come in, it's eight. I come in at four o'clock in the morning because I couldn't sleep. Jim comes in about six so I come in what I'm doing is cleaning out my desk I'm quitting (laughs) I came in the next day to quit that was as long as I wanted to do it was overnight I didn't want to do it and so like I told him if I'm on the team I'm gonna do it but I can't tell you how long I'm gonna be on the team so so I come in he gets there at 6 he calls me up he said hey hey, man what you doing here so early he thought I was gung-ho getting getting ready you know take over this thing and I said I'm just getting my stuff I'm leaving I'm resigning He's like, well, you need to come by my office on the way out. I said, oh, I'll stop by. And so I stopped by, and G- Jim took me around the plant. We walked all around this, however many acres this plant was on. He had his arm on my shoulder telling me how stupid I was <laughs> and did I know what was happening in the economy and all this stuff. So anyway, long, long to shorten this piece of the story, he says he called another plant manager, and uh, a guy named Tom. He got Tom on the speakerphone. I had supported Tom in tennis uh Tennessee or Kentucky Tennessee I think it was and he said Tom tell Mac how stupid he is he can't be resigning and all this so ultimately after he got off the phone with Tom he said give me 30 days I said i, I give you 30 days because I respect you and I want to help you because I'm leaving so you need to take this 30 days and plan on I ain't gonna be here kind of thing right yeah. and so like you said when I talked to you I've told him the same way I was trying to tell him I'm trying to help him because I don't want to do this job so I give him 30 days and within a week he comes in patting me on the shoulder. He said, man, I'm getting calls from all over. People talking about how good the quality department is doing. He said, I, I knew you could do it. I said, Jim, I know that I could do it. I knew I could do it too. I don't want to do it. <laughs> oh. right? and, and And that's the way my whole life had been. I'd done whatever the boss asked me to do because I could do it. I would learn how to do it. I would read. I would stay late. I'd learn whatever I had to do. I would always do it. But at that moment, I knew I was in control now and I wanted to do lean. So I went and hired a career coach, paid him $5,000 to help me transition. And I went and told him, I said, I said, Jim got good news, bad news. He said, what's good news? I said, Jim, I'm going to stay longer than 30 days. He said, good. He said, I said, what's the bad news? I said, I hired, I just spent $5,000 on somebody to help me get out of here. <laughs> I said, so I'm going to do it a little bit smarter. So fast forward to August. I walked in, handed him my resignation. He took it, Marcus, and he wadded it up, threw it in the garbage. My resignation. I said, "What are you doing, man?" He said, "He said I don't want this." And then, and then we talked about it. He said, "He said you can you you can go back to doing lean, and we'll get the quality supervisor to be the you know lead the lead quality." I said, "We can't do that now, Jim." I said, "We could have did that in the beginning." I said, "But everybody in this plant, two hundred people, know what you want me to do." And I said, I'm not going to disrespect you in front of these people. I can't do it. Now I have to go. And he said, well, just go home and think about it. I said, one more night, I'll go home and think about it. Next, <laughs> day, next day I come in, I, I handed him that new resignation and he reached for it. i snatched it back. I said, don't tear this one up. Cause I'm not giving you another one. And you can see him. He had a paradigm shift. It went through his body and he kind of looked serious and he's like, I thought you would just pin years back and do it. So, I resigned two weeks later, you know, my notice was up. I was actually started my business on my birthday that year, August 21st. And uh, that was the day that I, that I had the lawyer, you know, incorporate LLC and everything was was that year. And I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have any clients. I didn't have nothing. And it was 2008 in the middle of the great recession. And, and I just knew I was going to do it. I took my retirement, Wow. And, and out, you know, I, first time I took it out was to to move to get that job, and then to, to to buy a house there. Not to move, I didn't have to move far, but I used it to get my house. So I took my retirement that had built up in the five years I had been there, yes, sir. and and now I was going to use that until I could get build some clients. So it took me nine months, and then by nine months I got a new client, and I was making about fifty percent more instantly. So I wasn't that stupid, right? I went from 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 a good job to making 50, 50% more in just 9 months and within just a few months i was making about four times as much so that's you know that's it's quite a bit quite more. a bit. and so I, I was leading these teams also in 2008 this is a key point for your listeners in 2005 a quality technician put some music on my iPod and you got to remember i've never or they don't know your your listeners or viewers I've never read leadership books. I've never been exposed to it. 20 years in the corporate career and multi-billion dollar global companies, no company ever invested one penny or one minute teaching me any of the stuff that I talk about and teach about today. So I, I was ignorant to all of that stuff. I've never been exposed to it. But 2005, my friend put the seven habits of highly effective people, a one hour audio overview basically because the whole audio books like 13 hours. So he put, he put, a one hour highlight version on my iPod 2005. I would never listened to it till I started my own business. I'm driving around. I had it plugged into my audio, my uh, stereo and I was looking for clients and across the screen come seven habits of highly effective people. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember when Zach gave that to me, he said, Hey, my friend's dad said, this is a great book. I said, is it good? He said, I don't know. I never listened to it. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he, he may not have ever still listened to it. But three <laughs> years later I did. And it changed my life, Marcus. Every single thing that I do today and everything I've done since then is really based on those seven habits. But I started reading every day. And I introduced them to the teams I was leading. Between 2005 and 2012, I I had logged over 11,000 hours leading process improvement teams, organizational change, and uh, cultural transformation. Each week was a new team of six to ten people or so. And sometimes I did some training on leadership and, and lean where I'd have about 20 people in a room for a week. But that's what I did all the way until 2012. But what happened was I, in 2008, I introduced, uh, actually it was 2009. I introduced the the seven habits to the, to one of the teams and said, Hey, I never heard this kind of stuff. Maybe you guys would be interested. I said, if you don't mind, I'm just going to play it. And I stuck it in my laptop and we sat around for an hour and listened to this audio, you know, kind of boring sitting around a table and i didn't have nothing to say so i just hit play and we sat there and kind of looked at each other and when we got done i said what y'all think i said i never heard anything like that should should i include it or should i forget about it i'm the only one interested they said oh no i think they said you should play that every week so we started and the reason i'm telling you this this is a little longer version but what i'm about to tell you a lot of people ask me is how did i get started teaching this stuff you know how did i get to be able to stand up in front of people and talk about leadership With You know, with I don't need PowerPoints, I don't need notes and all that sort of stuff. But at that moment, I didn't have anything to say. The second time I played it, I played it for a little while and Dr. Covey said something. And I hit pause and I spoke for a minute or two. And so I hit play and I let it finish out. After that, fast forward four years, plus I started reading every day then in 2008. So I read lots of books and I'd introduce other books besides just that. I got companies to buy Seven Habits and they bought videos and audios and started teaching their folks that. And I was basically interpreting it. So what happened was four years into that, I was still playing that audio for them, but I'd hit play probably about 30 seconds into it. I hit pause and I talked for 10 or 15 minutes <laughs> and I'd hit play and Dr. Covey talked for 30 seconds or a minute and I'd hit pause and I'd talk 15, 20 minutes, right? 30 minutes. So, so that was really how I started. And I was sharing the books that I was reading. But when I d- disco- discovered, John Maxwell, ah. that was when I figured out, Oh, I can go do this. When I saw Dr. Covey on stage, I didn't realize I could do that. Cause Dr. Covey's, you know, PhD doctor of edu- in education and a professor whatever you want to call him. And he was all squared away and proper, but he was saying some good stuff. But when I saw John Maxwell, he was just a regular dude. He was, he was a phd too but he didn't act like it and he didn't talk like it and he was having fun and poking fun at you know the Barney Fife leaders and he was trying to get everybody to be a Andy Griffith type leader and uh when I saw him I said Max Story can do that I can do it like that and that was probably 2010 or so when I discovered John's books yes yep be- before then I was all over Stephen Covey's books and I didn't know there was anybody besides Stephen Covey I was reading everything I could find that he had written and then One of the folks in them classes actually gave me the 21 laws of leadership. And Whenever somebody gives you a book, when you're leading them and asking them to read, guess what you got to do? You got to read it. So I didn't want to read it, but I read it. I read it while I was in Texas that week. I read it in the hotel room in about three days. And I took it back and I said, Liz, this is awesome. I said, this is some good stuff. And she said, oh, I got another one. And she pulled out 17 uh, laws of teamwork. She said, you can have this one too and i said okay so i took it home and read it and then later i saw the videos of john so now you know i'm starting to move that way and by the by 2012 i decided this is what i want to go do and you know i was well into the six figures in in that job in my consulting job and i was working every week but by the end of 2012 i gave it all up went to zero again and i mean it's I was making close to a hundred thousand in 2008 but i was making well above a hundred thousand you know by 2012 and it's hard to give that up and i tell people from the stage today i say i know people who won't leave one job to go get a job they might like for a quarter an hour pay cut most people won't take a pay cut at all they gotta get the same thing or more regardless of how happy they'll be you with me and so when I'm on stage, I tell them because a year later Rhea gave up her job in healthcare administration. So between the two of us, we had given up almost $400,000 in income and went to zero by choice. And and so when we're on stage talking, i say, what would call, what would make somebody give up nearly 400 grand and go to zero when they didn't have to. And today it's pretty cool. I do it for you and your viewers. Same thing I do on stage. I say, today it was because of you. I didn't know in 2012, I'm going to be sitting here today in 2018, talking to Marcus Holmes and, and his audience. Last week I was in two different water companies, water resources companies. I didn't know I was going to be talking to those hundreds of people. <laughs> the week after next We got I'm going to be at the U S Navy in San Diego for doing 10 half day workshops with, with, I don't know how many people they'll put out there. Last time I was there, they had in May, they had about a thousand people in a big uh, theater. And while we were there, the CEO said, these folks better be back. And that's what we're going to be back, you know, week after next. They bought 2000 books and they, they're bringing us out for. 10 4 hour workshops during five days. I didn't know I was going to do all that. But when I go and I get in front of these people, I tell them we, we did it for you. Wow. We, we did it for you. And I did it to be here to serve and help you today, Marcus, with all the people that you're serving and helping. And I just got that passion and it wasn't about the money. And I had never, ever in my life you know, year over year made less money, but two times now I had to give it all up, start it over. And and it's been a, it's been a long journey. It's been a long, and, and Mac, I, I think Facebook
0: family, this is what the cool thing is. I've seen Mac since 2010, when we met, I've seen Mac through that whole process, um, do just, and I, I don't want to call it transformation because in my opinion, Mac, the Mac that you're talking to now that you're seeing now guys is the same Mac from back in 2010. It's just he has continued to refine um, his, his intentions with what he wants to do in serving people. And I think that's so key. Um, I want to go back in and, and I want, and I wanted to share this story guys so this is mac right (laughs) so if you ever want to hire him as a as a coach which you can um he's limited in time because he is doing quite a bit of speaking but if you if you had um the time and the money to invest in your um potential i would definitely look at hiring mac and here's why i had uh posted something on facebook about a about a year ago um uh, it was back in October, maybe September time frame. Never had played baseball, but my son was playing. And I was having the biggest challenge with the games that were late. He would play late games. So like one out of every um, two games would be a late game. Starts at, you know, like uh, I think 7.30 or eight. So he wasn't getting in bed until late. And I just didn't like it. Me or my wife just didn't like it. And so, I had went out on Facebook and just uh, um, had asked, you know, some of the parents Hey, guys, what do you think about this? What are your thoughts? And, you know, I was getting quite a few, you know, thoughts on it. But, you know, the most sobering one came. Oh, uh, It was either the next morning or that night comes Mac's story.
1: They got to know I love you, though, Marcus. You got to tell them that before you tell
0: them. Oh, yeah. And, and this is my point, guys. I know Mac. Mac has flown to Houston to spend time with me, guys.
1: Just to meet you and talk to you. Just I to just meet wanted to
0: do it. I mean, so this, this is this is a real friend. <clears throat> Tells me in the Facebook post, well, Marcus, first of all, um, you know, basically, Marcus, it's your fault. And I loved it. Now I was, at, at first it kind of shocked me because I saw it that morning, I believe. And he said, Marcus, to be honest, you you technically you should know better. And it, it basically was Marcus, you should have thought about this from the beginning. You're the leader. You're the leader of this family. You're his parent and you controlled this from the beginning. You knew the schedule and you should have thought about that from the beginning and made the decision then. And what I loved is it was such a gut punch for me, guys. Um, I wasn't embarrassed what I was was somebody who teaches on leadership and teaches people accountability and owning the process. But sometimes you can, you forget when you're in the middle of a situation where emotion is involved and you know, kids, you're emotional. That's your, that's your blood. That's your, your, your child, you lose it, but it's always good to have a good friend that'll tell you the truth. Even when you don't want to hear it, even if they think they're going to hurt your feelings, That's what Matt's story is for me. So here's the point, guys. If you don't have a friend in your life, if you don't have a coach in your life that is able to tell you what you don't want to hear but will tell you anyways because they want you to be the best, then I am telling you, you're not living your best life. You're not living up to your potential. And I'm pretty sure you're probably around a bunch of yes people that don't really care about you and they just tolerate you. All right, so that being said, Mac tells me, what I need to hear, not what I want to hear, and he's been like that all the time. Every time I call him for advice, he gives me the best advice based on the information that I've provided him. So, guys, I'm just letting you know um, this is some good stuff. Okay, good stuff. Mac, let's let's talk. Let's touch on this some more, right? I want to go into this blue collar leadership. I saw what you're doing, but what what? This blue collar leadership has taken off and grown wings. What what happened? How did you start seeing that the blue collar industry versus white collar was was an untapped market that you plugged into and it has totally exploded? Let's touch on that.
1: Yeah, it was no the first the first book that I ever was gonna write was gonna be Blue Collar Leadership. And I started writing it in 2013, but I didn't finish it. I decided I didn't want to write that book. So I read a quote recently that said, whenever you discover your why, most often you're going to find out you've known it all alone. Absolutely. And, and even with leadership, you know, it took me a long time to get to leadership. But when I first started college at age 25, working in the factories, you know, six, seven days a week, 10, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. When I started college during that time as a single parent, the, my, the classes that I liked the most, they were all my elective classes. I took psychology and really leadership is a psychology of influence. And so what I know is why. Twenty twenty sixteen when I released the blue collar leadership book, because I got out there and, and in my world, nobody was doing this in the blue collar world. So I started, you know, I put on the suit and tie and I hated it. I still hate it. I tell people, if you see me in a suit and tie today, I'm in the disguise i'm disguised so i can talk to the big dog so i can go talk to the regular folks that i want to talk to but today you see th- this is my uniform my blue collar leadership shirt got my sleeves rolled up i have my blue jeans on and that's the way i go speak today and that's the way i want to speak that's that's who i am i do wear the fancy little shoes but i'd rather put on some hiking boots but <laughs> i try to put a nice belt and shoes on but anyway so what happened how did i get that back to that was i just kept growing and growing and my passion kept taking me back to the blue collar people. And I decided to write those books. The first year I wrote the book, I didn't hardly sell any of them. I wasn't even trying to sell them. I was still writing. I went into writing season, 2014, January, I had no books written today. You know, it's just a tad over four years. I got 12 books written and four of them now in the blue collar leadership series, just released one a few weeks back. But what I've discovered and, and a year ago, Ria says, you need to hone in my wife. You know, the, the the she she saw and felt even what I couldn't see and feel in myself. And she's like, you need to wrap everything around blue collar leadership. And our, the name of our company is to top story leadership. So all my memes, everything I share, everything we promote was top story leadership. That still is the LLC, the business. And what happened was a year ago, I started focusing, honing in dead center of my lane blue collar people and those who lead them and those who support them. And it was hard, man, to take the top story off of there. And it was hard to quit promoting all my other books and, and, and just say, I'm going to be the blue collar guy on LinkedIn. And I only did this recently on LinkedIn. I took my suit and tie picture off and put this picture with this shirt on. I just paid a photographer, you know, in the last month or so to, to do a bunch of pictures in this shirt and that that's been hard. But what's crazy is the first year I sold none of those blue collar books and hardly not a lot of the other books, but just in the last six weeks, I've sold $90,000 worth of books. That's what happened. That's what
0: happened. So guys, I I want you to understand that. Okay. So, so here is, (laughs) I want you to understand something. And I don't know if you uh, listeners when you hear this uh, now or three years from now, want you to understand something. Mac did not give up. I want you to realize the golden thread through all of this is when Mac didn't sell those books, he didn't give up. He didn't stop writing. Mac is an author of how many books now, Mac? What is it? 21, I believe?
1: Twelve of mine together, Rhea and I have 21, and she's about to release number 22 cumulatively. We both got about the same exact number, but one of them we wrote together, which makes it kind of hard, but we got 22 books total together, 12 of them or mine, and then one of those is co-authored. So eleven by myself and then one co-authored with her and and we just do it. You know, you know why we got that many books, Marcus? I was talking to somebody today and the reason this is where people mess up. They get whatever it is they want to do. They figure out what they can't do and they dwell on that. And then they talk to somebody else and tell them what they can't do. And because they're right, whoever they're talking to agrees. Oh yeah, you can't do that. But how are you going to get from where you are to where you want to be? is figure out what you can do and go do it. Like, I would rather have been speaking. I'd rather not have 12 books. I'd rather have been speaking on the stage. All those years have been too busy, but nobody was hiring me. What could I do? I could go build my LinkedIn brand. I could, I could go create thousands of memes. I can go write book after book after book. When I'm not doing what I really, really want to be doing, I do what I can do. And now people will say, how many of you sold? I'm like, I don't know. I don't even care. You know, I'm just writing the books. They're going to sell one day. And and now that I'm getting focused, even in the blue collar b- world, when they buy the blue collar book and they read it, I tell them I want this to be a bridge. It can be a bridge to all my other books that you think are not for you. Or it can be a bridge to all the leadership books written by whoever out in the, the hundreds of thousands of them in the world. They're for you, too. You just don't know it. So what I did and, and I, you know, for the viewers that didn't see it, what I did was put their name on it. You won't find any other leadership books out there that's got a blue-collar leadership on the title. When they see this, they know that book's for me. They know it's for them. When they see something by John or Stephen Covey or a CEO or, or a, uh, you know, somebody who's a PhD or a pastor, most blue-collar people, they don't want to learn from those folks. They want to learn from another blue-collar person they trust. But I want them to know they can learn from those people. But they're not going to know it till they read my books and they see a lot of quotes from all these people and then when i get in the room but what you said was never give up i knew from the beginning it didn't matter if i had to live under a bridge and i did sell my house and sold all my, my corvette 06 and my sixty thousand 4 four-wheel drive and reals hummer and you know that's part of the sacrifice story that people they don't see that and, and nobody would ever have known the financial struggles we went through because Nobody, we didn't let people see it, but we wasn't bothered by it. Most people would have been devastated, but we could care less. We were happier than we had ever been.
0: Uh, Y'all, let me tell you, all and I'm serious, Mac, you don't remember (coughs) our conversations. I remember, guys, when Mac would call me and he would have nothing in the bank. This is after he sold the Z. Z, (laughs) This is after the Ford. um, What was that Ford? uh,
1: Ford Raptor, that big fancy Ford four-wheel drive truck.
0: He got rid of all that, y'all, so he could go, you know, he he, he and I call it the slowing down to speed up. Max said, I'm going to follow my passion. I'm not going to let anything get in the way. And him and Rhea partnered husband and wife and said, you know what? We're going to make it happen. And so over the last I want you all to understand this. 21 books together. But in, in four years, months, 22, 22, <clears throat> in four years, in four years. But over the last six months has sold ninety thousand dollars in books. Those six weeks. Oh I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Matt. Six weeks. <laughs> ninety thousand dollars worth of books, but all of that sowing. So you have to realize Oh, absolutely.
1: It's so
0: overnight, right? No. You've been planting seeds, you've been sacrificing, and a lot of people think that you're overnight. A lot of people think that how many LinkedIn followers do you have? what is it over a hundred thousand? I mean, how many is it? not not, not
1: yet. It's about 36,000 for me and about 30,000 for real, but we worked LinkedIn since 2014, both of us probably two to three hours every day. And I can tell you most all of our business, I can trace nearly every relationship, all of our business. I can trace it back through LinkedIn, not all of it because it's spreading now, but what made us successful when it was hard was LinkedIn. I mean, I, the best speaking engagement I ever had, which is pretty cool for a blue collar guy, $20,000 speaking to 80 PhDs leading a $3 billion organization from 40 different countries around the world. I did a four hour workshop on my book, 10 values of high impact leaders. And they never even asked me if I graduated high school and I'm speaking to a bunch of PhD guys for $20,000. And the CTO of that company hired me basically through a message. He sent me a message on LinkedIn. He said, I've been following you for three months, I know your character, I see who you are, because I put something out every day, two things every day, I write, you know, I put out quotes and memes twice a day, for, since the November of 2014, and I've written, been writing blogs, and posting them, I have, usually as one a week or so, but I have over 250 articles posted on LinkedIn, anybody goes to my LinkedIn, they know who I am, and what I'm about, they know I ain't necessarily about marketing, marketing, and selling, and I'm about helping people. We just started a podcast, both of us, about two, three weeks ago, and they just changed it where you can make revenue, generate revenue from your podcast. But I ain't turning mine on because I'm not doing the podcast to make money. You know, if people want to buy my books or whatever, that's fine. I maybe make money that way But I'm doing the podcast to reach people. But most people, you know, working at LinkedIn two or three hours a day, that was one of the things, what can we do? We got to figure out in our world, how are we going to get there? And that's what your viewers have to do. They might not get there like me or like you, but they gotta figure out and know that they're responsible for figuring it out. And that's what we did. Our path's not for everybody. We publish our own books. Rhea does the book covers, she designs them. Rhea learned how to make websites. She made all of our websites. We do every single thing. And and we we don't want to give it away until we have to. But what's what's gonna be is when we when we have to, because we're getting so busy we're we're getting it all squared away so that when we have to hand it off, we know how to do it already. It's ready for someone else. Come on, but we don't want to give it away. We really want to almost stay small enough that when somebody calls, they get to talk to me. That happens all the time. People are calling real sale oh, Max here and we'll get on speaker. Oh, I didn't know I was going to get to talk to y'all. Like we're somebody, we're nobody Marcus. But when people call us, they think it's pretty cool to get us on the phone or we call back usually within the same day, you know, within 12 hours or, so it depends on what time they call, but, but that's for your viewers. You just have to figure it out. But I'm telling you, this is a key point right here, Marcus. I love, I talk this all the time from the stage because a lot of people are still working, right? They're transitioning. I just gave it all up and went to zero and that, that's not for everybody. <laughs> I wouldn't advise anybody to do that, but that's what I did. And I would do it a thousand times again, but I would never advise somebody else to do it because they may not be willing to, to do what I did to live with it or to give up their stuff and be mentally okay with giving it up. Like when I gave up the Corvette and the truck and Ria's Hummer at that time, we still had over 20 grand a month to blow. We, we weren't where we want. We wasn't struggling when I gave all that up. I was preparing. I started driving a Nissan Sentra and she started driving a Toyota Corolla. I remember. And I We remember. still had a lot of money. We still, we stopped traveling. We stopped eating out. We, we had a lot of money then we still went down but but we went down and down and down, but I didn't give all the stuff up when I had to. I gave it up before I had to. When we gave up our house and moved to Atlanta, we were down to kind of have to, but it was because we wanted to keep going. We wasn't about to quit. That's right. So the thing I want to tell your viewers who are still working, whether they're going to do something like we're doing, I'm doing or they just want to advance and they want to grow in their career. doesn't matter. The principle is the principle. It applies. And what I tell people, you can get ahead a little bit by working hard from nine to five. But you're going to accelerate and launch like a rocket if you work hard from five to nine. And I'm talking about when you get off of work, not when you're at work. I was talking to somebody this week, Marcus, in a group. And they said these were people in a city government. <clears throat> I talked to a county government, too, but I was at the city government. One of them said, they were talking about not being able to get raises because city, state, federal, county government, they're not a lot of money to just you know, promote everybody and give everybody raises. And a lot of people work there forever because they got good benefits. And they was talking about, you know, how, to, how are we going to get a raise? Or I can't give the people raises. I said, first of all, everybody in this room is satisfied with what they're making because if they was not they wouldn't be coming in here today. You know, they didn't like that. That's some leadership truth, right? But I said, what I want them to know is, you can double your pay. Everybody in this room, I said, how many of you would like to double your pay? You know, everybody would like to double your pay. I said, you could work here for another 20 years they could never give you a raise and you could double your pay. They're like, how, how are you going to do that? I said, from five to nine and weekends. I Come said, on. my brother, my mother, they make a lot of money. They just buy and sell stuff on marketplace, Come you know, on. off of Facebook. I mean, they make it a lot of money. My mom's put a lot of money in the, in the bank doing that stuff. My brother makes a lot of extra money. He's a corrections officer, so he works for the state. They ain't got a lot of money. And what I tell people, see, people, look, <clears throat> you know why we blame people, Marcus? Because there's only one other choice. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Right? Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Hold on. I got to I got that. one, got to go out. <laughs> why do people, you know, why do we blame other people? Because there's only one other choice. But, but that's why people like these people, they want the boss to give them a raise, but they let themselves off the hook. They go home, they drink beer, they watch TV, they do whatever. I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. And I've got a lot of raises since I quit doing that. But I don't do it anymore. Or, you know, or they go hunting, they play golf, they do whatever they do with the money they do have. But they ain't worried about their time to go get themselves a raise because, mm. it, you know, I, I've got paid twenty thousand dollars to speak about stuff that I had never even heard of in 2008. I never read a leadership book. And, you know, we're selling tens of thousands of dollars of books that until 2014, I had never wrote a leadership book. But when I learned about this from 2008 to 2012, I was working. The companies that I was supporting, the process improvement, they didn't, they didn't give me a raise. I went and got a raise. When I resigned and quit both times, I went and got a raise. And I tell people this is a a big principle, not only working on your, who you are from five to nine, uh, and again, that means nights and weekends, whenever you're not at work, that's when you go get yourself a raise. Don't worry about I ain't. I don't want a raise from somebody else. I'm going to get the raise. I ain't worried about Social Security because I'm going to take care of my story. I'm going to have so much money in the bank, it ain't going to matter. But I don't do this stuff for the money. I do it to make a difference, but I get paid a lot of money because it's, it's authentic. There's a lot of people. I'm getting wound up, Anna Marcus. But I love it. No, this is... <laughs> This is the
0: stuff that people need to hear in terms of there's no excuse. It, whatever you choose to do, do it, but don't have an excuse as to why you're doing it. Do it because you want to do it. And and I love what you said. And I got to go back to this, Mac. This is one of those key points um, is <laughs> you you literally have been an author for for just over just under just over around four years and you'd rather still be speaking but your books are selling at a pace of $90,000 over the last six weeks. Guys, I'm just letting y'all know they've owned the process. Him and his wife are not given any excuses. They've learned how to create websites. They've learned how to create book covers. Um, Mac has talked to me about how to market on Amazon and Mac my aunt cookie she's a uh, she's a writer a uh, really great writer she just asked how do you start working linkedin well it's funny you ask aunt cookie mac has a class um, that he offers um on on how to work linkedin i want y'all to hear that and based on your your based on what you want to do you can make money mac is going to be very transparent and whatever he he tells you to do if, He's he's only telling you because he's done it. He's not one of those theoretical leadership guys. This is real deal, guys. He's been at the bottom and worked his way up and said, I'm still not going to go back into corporate America. I want to do what I want to do and I want to make people people better while I'm doing it. And he's doing it. So Mac, Mac, this is this is another this is another point I I want to share. So can you touch on the whole linkedin if people want to get with you or download your uh,
1: your uh, your sales tool on linkedin how do they how do they find that how do they get to you yeah they can go to bluecollarleadership.com and go to the store or topstoryleadership.com and go to the store or rheastory.com, go to the store all the stores are the same so any one of our websites just go to the store and then uh, you just have there's quite a bit of stuff on there we got a lot of resources but you just go in there flip through the pages until you find the, there's a hundred minute, it's a $49 call. And we actually did a 60, 60 minute teaching call. And then we did 40 minutes of of Q and A and people paid to be on the call. And then we recorded it and put it out there. So anyone can download it because although we are really, really good at doing what we've done on LinkedIn, we don't want to be in the LinkedIn coaching business. And, and so we recorded it and I tell people, you know, go to that. And I've had some people who pay us more to coach them but really it's around brand, you know, people who want to do what we're doing. That's, we don't even want to do a lot of coaching in that area, but we will limit it for people who are serious about it. But what I tell people is about LinkedIn on that call is you'll find out you have to look at, it's been a while since we've done it, but it's, it's what, probably three or 4,000 hours of Rhea and I cumulatively building our brand on LinkedIn, all the stuff we learned from those three or 4,000 hours, Of doing it every day literally every day for three years or whatever it was at the time when we made that you're gonna get the golden nuggets out of what we learned and I'll tell you there's people who paid at that time paid to be on that call or later paid for some additional coaching around LinkedIn but so far I only know one person who actually did what we teach on that call everybody else they don't do it because it's work all this stuff is work most people I know people who've been in coaching programs certification programs with a bunch of different people all different the gurus they all got a program i know people who's been through all of them they've been doing it for years and years and years but they ain't doing what they want to go do they're very qualified but it's easy to write a check and go to another training than it is to go do the work Woo! On. <laughs> another one. Uh oh, oh gotta write that one back
0: that's a nugget a lot of people Ooh, wow a lot of people I got to write this one down so people can get this on the rebroadcast. A lot of people
1: would rather write a check than do the work. It's the truth. They got money. If you got money, you know, if you ain't got money, it's hard to write a check, but still hard to do the work. But if you got money, it's just easy to pretend you're trying to get somewhere by writing checks and going to training, write a check and go to training. And I ain't bad mouthing the training. The trainings are, are great, but if you've been doing it for a long time, you got to really ask. When am I going really? When am I going to do what it is I want to do, or right? or am I just enjoying? Is it just personal growth and development? If that's what it is, that's no problem. But if you want to go do like something I'm doing, what you you're doing, you know, Ria. If if you want to go from wherever you are, and you want to become a speaker, a trainer, coach, author, w- whatever it is, you got to do the work. I had somebody call me today from high school. Hadn't talked to, talk to him in 30 years, man. And they reached out on Facebook and I said, Hey, give me a call. I'm available. That's the way I do. If you want to talk to me, give me a call now because I'm available now or either I'm busy. So call me now. We talked, I talked to him for three hours this afternoon, man. I walked eight miles. See, I, I leveraged my time. I need to lose a little weight, right? <laughs> Somebody, when I get on one of them calls, I go get my shoes on and I put my headphones in and I go walk. So I walked about eight miles when I was talking to this guy for three hours. And the one thing I was telling him, You're ready. He has never went and paid for a bunch of certification and a lot of training what he's been doing though Is he's he's been he's been transforming his character. He's been reading books and he could tell me a lot of quotes He's he's primed and ready And he don't need any certification. He don't need to pay me I said if you'll go do what I've been telling you for three hours You ain't never got to spend any money for any training or certification. You just got to go do the work Just do the work. I said you can start a podcast Anchor.fm is free. You can yep. publish a book, createspace.com. It's free. You can get on LinkedIn or Facebook and do videos if you want to help people. It's free. You, but you got to do it. You got to go do the stuff. Most people rather write a check and go sit in a class because then they kind of let themselves off the hook. And I'm going to tell you this. This is another one of them big ones, Marcus. And I told, I told not only my friend from high school today, but I tell it to anybody who calls with these kind of questions. <laughs> and, and I say, if you're ready to be who you are, then you're ready. You're ready right now because guess who you are? You already who you are. But most people think they've got to be something else before they can go do what they want to do. But if, you, if you're if you the kind of person that thinks I've always got to be better, well, guess what? Five years from now, you're still going to think I've always got to be better. Ten years uh-huh. from now, you're going to think I've always got to be better. So if if you think you've got to be someone else, before you can start, you're never gonna be someone else. Wow. And some people say, "Well, who can, who can I help? Wow. Nobody till you start doing something. Who's gonna buy my books? Nobody till you write them. Who's, who even knows who you are? If you're on Facebook showing everybody what you had for supper, and you want to be a leadership coach, they think you're enjoying life. If you're showing them what you're doing at the beach, your favorite cold drink." i mean you have to give that up man i mean you don't have to but if you ain't doing what you want to do you got to figure it out i don't have personal social media i don't even read social media you just lucky that time that i gave you some advice that was a god thing because i don't scroll social media i see whatever's on there when i open it guess what was on there that day marcus My question because i don't scroll it god god want me to talk to you that day Mm -hmm. because i don't i don't look for that stuff And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not beating up people who do that on Facebook.
0: Yeah, absolutely not. Right. That's
1: that's what most people do on there. I'm just saying, and this is another tip. And I told my buddy that today from high school and I tell other people, you got to be, this is a tough one to digest, but it it ain't really, it just don't sound right. You got to be what you want to be before you get to be what you want to be. And it doesn't even make sense. It's like the chicken and the egg, right? I'm going to tell you what's going to come first relative to this. you got to be what you want to be before you're going to get to be what you want to be. I was writing books. I was an author. I wasn't selling them. I was writing them, though. I was posting blogs. I was doing everything the folks who are already being what I want to be are doing. And probably doing it at a higher level because they done got into the marketing and the promotional and all that stuff. I'm still in the giving mode, and I hope I stay that way. I don't ever want to be the mass marketing guru selling all this, join this email list and share my, I don't want to be that. I want to, I want to be, my model is give, 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 and the rest of it will take care of itself. And so, but I want to go back to that. You have to be what you want to be before you get to be what you want to be. And that means if, if you want to, if you want to be seen as a professional in this world, you need to be a professional in this world long before you get paid for it that's why i gave up my social media you go back through my history you don't see what i had for supper you don't you don't see what i'm doing if it's something anything i share is something about leadership because i want anybody who comes to any profile of mine when they look at it and they see it i want them to see this guy is eat up with the leadership bug this this is what his life is about this is who he is and they can go search all they want for my personal life and they ain't gonna find it unless they come get in it Cause I ain't got any personal stuff in the social media world and I ain't got time to go read it. Negative, all that negative stuff and even people for following. And again, I'm not bashing people. I'm just sharing my story. You asked me to share because I started late. So I got to make up ground, right? I quit Mm -hmm. drinking alcohol in 2012. I quit using profanity in 2012. I became a Christian in 2012. That was four years after I started reading and it was just natural progression of my growth but I, li- I like that stuff, right? I liked alcohol. I didn't give it up for me. I gave it up for all the people I want to help because I wanted to have a higher level of character and integrity. I could go do it today. I'm never going to do it again, but I could go do it today. That's who I am. Naturally, I'm the kind of guy that drinks and parties and has a good time, but I'm becoming something for somebody else. That's what led me to give up all the stuff. That's what really Rhea to join me and give up everything.
0: Amen. Matt, you, you, um, I, Facebook family, y'all know the people I have on this show always leave me speechless at some point during the conversation, and it has just happened again. I want you to understand something for all of you who are, who think that you're over the hill and life is over. I want you to understand something, Mac just said. Something that I think was so profound that really, within the last four years, he has experienced such—I I mean, I don't—I don't, I don't want to say Mac, and I don't want to put words in your mouth—almost ex- exponential growth, not just from a monetary perspective, but from a spiritual, a life perspective. And he does never—he never wants to become the point to the point where he's only giving because there's an ulterior motive of getting. Mac, and I'm just telling you guys, Mac is a giver. He is an open book. And <laughs> I think that's why he'll always be blessed. That's why he is blessed. That's why he's going to speak at Yale, him and his wife. Yale University about blue collar leadership in October. <laughs> when, I, when I first met Matt, if he had said, yeah, Marcus, um, I'm getting ready to go speak to Yale. Yale University about blue collar leadership. I, I wouldn't have laughed because I know me, but I would have said in the back of my mind, okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't see that one. But he is speak, and Yale went to him, guys. This isn't Mac soliciting business. Soliciting just solicit
1: business. I answer the phone and email. Oh,
0: come on, guys. This is some
1: <laughs> Even when I was broke, I didn't solicit <laughs> business. I, I don't like cold calling. I don't like going asking people for business. I went through the gutter, and I said, I'm going to do it my way, and my way was going to be serving. And, and then word of the mouth advertising and do so much stuff for free. Keep keep going. I didn't want to interrupt you, but that's – No,
0: I, I just – I want you – I want the team to understand. If you want to follow someone who has done it and has been in the trenches, making it happen for his vision, his dream, Max Story is the poster, you know, the, the poster guy for that, him and his wife. They both – Really good jobs.
1: She we we teammates. I mean, she but she Rhea's Rhea's a huge part of this. I mean we support each other whichever way we need to, but she's she's huge, man. But oh
0: so guys, I'm just letting y'all know I have Rhea on in a couple of weeks. So uh, blended family playbook. I'm now doing this twice a month instead of four times every week. The reason why is one I own my process, right? I'm coming out with quite a bit more content and I have to devote time to do that. Plus, every Sunday was actually taking away time with me spending from my family. So, guys, I need you to understand something. My family is number one most important thing to me. I will not leverage that. But I realized and just as you're growing, in order to get people like Max Story on every Sunday, it takes a tremendous amount of effort and work, and I'm not just asking questions off the cuff. I'm doing my research on Mac and, and all these other people, and it takes time for the scheduling. So guess what? I'm only doing it now twice a month, but it's going to free me up to do more and bring more value to you guys um, in the long term. So, in, so it's going to be every second and fourth um, Sunday, and the fourth Sunday, we got Rhea Story, Yep. And this is Mac's wife, and she is an amazing woman, um, a powerhouse in her own right. And we're just going to be touching on, I think, some even more just how did she do it from a women, a woman's perspective? How does she balance being an amazing wife while still going out there and making it happen in the business world? So we got some really good stuff, and they are a, dynam- a dynamic couple. I would love to maybe in the next uh, few months or so, Mac, have both of you on. Um, yeah, that's a yeah I, I think a lot of a lot of husbands and wives they don't know how to make it happen with each other and for each other they're you gonna know, be a cheerleader yeah come on come on it's it's about being the cheerleader um both and people each other's success yeah yeah yeah
1: and her and her story man we ain't gonna get into that we don't want to spoil no, no. it. But, oh, but I, her, her story on top of that i mean you can talk about it on your show but the people don't understand they got to look at the foundation where she's coming wow. from. It's amazing what she's accomplished. It's, it's,
0: y'all, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you her story. Um, it resonates with me because um, I know what my, my mother went through during the early parts of her childhood. That's why I'm a huge advocate for um, the safety of children. Um, when you hear Rhea's story in a couple of weeks, it's going to absolutely blow you away when you see what she's still having to face and is doing it so courageously and and sharing her story to empower other people so they're not ashamed it's absolutely exhilarating um it's going to be a great show mm-hmm. and i want you all to see something although i'm interviewing mac mac is propping up his wife so all you husbands out there all you wives if you want to know how to do it right i want you to look at the blueprint here mac He's doing well, but his wife is doing extremely well. Yeah, and we
1: say it's us. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah, it's us. We say it. You know, it's not really me or her. We, we It's a, every bit of it is us. It's a team.
0: You got it. You and got I tell it. everybody,
1: Marcus, she's the main attraction. I'm the sideshow. Or either she's, she's the rock star. I'm the backup singer. That's I say that from the stage all the time. And, and when they hear her story and see what she's accomplished, they'll understand. That's the yeah. truth.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she, she's uh, We're we're gonna be going through that, guys. Um, I'm I'm really uh, super excited for for that treat as well. Mac, um, we've told people how to get in contact with you. I'm gonna. I think one of my uh, one of the people listening, I think, just said it. I'm gonna print it again. I'm gonna post it again. Bluecollarleadership.com. If you're wanting to follow Mac on LinkedIn or any other social media channel. <clears throat> LinkedIn is, is probably the one that he does the most um, content, um, putting it out there. But if you go to bluecollarleadership.com, that's where you can follow him, buy any one of his books. You can go to Amazon and just search on Mac story or Blue Collar Leadership. Um, he is a, a noted and well known author, um, doing some amazing things. Mac, what's the one thing if um, you could leave us with um, the the best piece of advice for someone who wants to be an entrepreneur, um, what would be your best advice that you'd leave with them on today's show?
1: Uh, there's, there's a lot of things I want to say, but I, I would tell them this. First of all, there's two four questions. Basically, who are you? Where are you? And then where do you want to be and who do you want to become? If that's going to create what I call a success gap, right? I have to know who I am and where I am Re- relative to any industry, business, whatever, entrepreneur, you know, stuff you're asking me versus who, who do I want to become and what do I want to be? And now that creates the gap. And then this is a question I learned a long time ago and I ask it all the time. I ask it to myself the day before I talked to my friend for three hours. I ask it when you called or sent me a text and said, would I be on this show? I always ask this question because I know the gap. And the question is, will what I'm about to do move me in the right direction? And it doesn't matter unless you know that the other four questions, mm-hmm. who am I? Where am I? Who do I want to be? Where do I want to be? Now that gives you the gap and then you if you're going to watch a TV show for 4 hours tonight and you know where you want to be and where you are and you say well if if I watch this TV show tonight is it going to move me in the right direction unless you exhaust it and you need it for for refreshment the answer is going to be no so you can you can watch it but the gap's going to get wider you know when i gave up alcohol i asked i had been asking and i was still saying will drinking alcohol move me in the right direction the answer never was yes, but I still did it. So it just kept the gap wide or made it wider because now I'm using up my resources and I'm using up my time and energy. So as soon as I got that right, it fell away. And as soon as it fell away, I mean, literally within a month or two I'm starting to spend $5,000 on this coaching training, 5,000 on, cause it got, it put me in gear. So if I'm giving up my stuff to go somewhere, then I'm going somewhere and I started investing in myself, in my, I mean, Rhea and I spent over a hundred thousand dollars over several years because we paid for ourselves to go a lot. We paid for my son, we paid for my mother. We started investing. I mean, literally over a hundred thousand dollars. But, but what I want to tell the folks is, you, get, and, I, and I asked my buddy this tonight, but it applies to everybody. If you see someone out there doing what you want to do, regardless of what type of business that is. If you see someone doing what you want to do and you want to be paid to do, and you know in your heart that you can do it, you know how to do it and you want to do it, meaning you have the competency to go do it. There's only one thing holding you back. It's something to do with your character. Wow. And character doesn't mean good or bad. Character, I like Dr. Henry Cloud's definition of the char- of character, the ability to meet the demands of reality. And so if, the reality is I want to do something I'm not doing and I know how to do it and I'm willing to do it. That means I have the competency piece. What is it in my character that's holding me back? I mean, it's, it, that answer is anything. I mean, anything, anything that's holding you back. It's your choices is sometimes people won't give up, you know, like I made a lot of sacrifices. I heard someone say one time they said, uh, I think it was John Maxwell said, if you want to find out, what kind of leader you are, go lead a, vo- go lead in a volunteer organization. Me and Rhea started one from scratch and, and I quit consulting every other week for a year. I gave up half of my income to start that business. It wasn't a business. I mean, it was a nonprofit mountain bike organization. And, and within the first month we attracted 150 members and it, we basically transformed a state park. We built 15, 16 miles of trails in six months and they're still doing it. This was in 2012. They've got over 30 miles of trails now. We did it for two years and then we got out of it 100% and left it with the people. And and that's that's the key is anybody who's learning and growing, they can't just read a good quote and say, I like it. They got to read it and then go apply it. and say like, where does this fit and start doing it? But that one question is really all this stuff I've been saying is wrapped around, will what I'm about to do move me in the right direction? That assumes you know where you are and you know where you're going. And you really got to know that. And then you got to have the discipline. And if can I share a little bit deeper on this for me?
0: Please, please. Yes, this is good. This is good.
1: So I've got a book called 10 foundational elements of intentional transformation, how to become your best self. Basically it's like a mental roadmap of how to think your way from wherever you are to where you want to be. And basically I just, I just sit here and said, how did I do it? You know, it don't mean it works for everybody, but these are principles. They, they will work for everybody. It doesn't mean everybody did it the way I did it or wrote it, but, but I think, they probably really did because they principles. If you can go back and know somebody's story, you probably can see how it actually happened. So what I say in, in, in a nutshell, the ground is like the foundation. The ground is your values. Everything that you think is based on your values. If you want to change how you think, you've got to change your values. It's again, chicken and the egg thing, right? But it's really, you got to choose your values and then your thoughts are going to flow from them. Like when I valued alcohol, guess what I thought about on Friday night? Get me some. As soon as I changed my values, I thought about something different on a Friday night, maybe reading a book or, or, you know, something like that. Or I don't know what it was, but it wasn't alcohol anymore. And again, I'm not judging people. That's just my story. So what I say in that book is the first level is thought is the foundation of choice. And again, it's based, everything's based on values, but thought is the foundation of choice. One of the millions of choices you can make is to choose a vision for yourself or to borrow a vision from someone else. So vision now becomes a foundation of hope. When you can see where you want to be or someone else can paint a picture and you can say, Oh yeah, that's, that's where I want to be. And you can buy into it. So you can borrow the vision from someone else, but either way, you've got to have a vision. No matter if you came up with it or you borrowed it, once you borrow it and stick it in your head, it's your vision.
0: Got
1: it. So, so now the vision becomes the foundation of hope. You can't just have hope. You got to have a vision to generate the hope. But, like John Maxwell says, hope is not a strategy. But you got to have hope, I say, to develop a strategy. And so, hope becomes the foundation for sacrifice. Like when I said, when I saw John Maxwell and I said, Oh, I can do that, I can speak like that, I can do it his way, I can cut up and have fun and be authentic and be myself. So, that hope allowed me. First, the vision gave me the hope that I could do it. The hope become the foundation for the sacrifice. When I started investing time, money and resources and, and giving up stuff, that's the sacrifice. But again, the sacrifice is not going to get you there either. That's why this is like a foundational deal. Mm-hmm. You got to stack it up, giving up alcohol, even giving up money. Like we say, writing a check for training, all that's sacrificing money, time to go to training. But now sacrifice becomes a foundation for discipline. The sacrifice alone ain't going to get you there. Hope ain't going to get you. You know, it all stacks up. But now when I sacrifice, I can leverage the sacrifice by dis- with discipline. <clears throat> and that's when I started investing uh, the, the money. But not just that, because, again, that's the sacrifice, but the discipline to go apply, like the discipline to take that nugget and go start a volunteer organization. I could speak for days on what I learned and accomplished as a volunteer leader of an organization. I was the founding president. And Rio was the, the founding Uh, secretary so discipline if you have the discipline to do what you need to do right Will what I'm about to do move me in the right direction that's where the discipline comes into play and now discipline becomes the foundation for growth that's what's gonna allow you to grow that growth based on everything below it which again started with your vision that was based on your thoughts and your values the growth leads to positive change, right? Just like John Maxwell says, you can change without growing, but you can't, or you can grow without changing. Let me no, I said it back you can change without growing, but you can't grow without changing. So that's why I got growth first. Growth becomes a foundation for change, positive change. If it's based on everything I've been describing below it, that change is going to be positive. So now this positive change in your life becomes a foundation for success. And then the positive, uh, the success now becomes a foundation for significance. You know, success is about me. Significance is about we. And when I started giving everything up, I was successful. That's why I had to give it up because I had achieved it. But I gave it up for somebody else. And I gave it up to become significant and help other people become successful, hoping that they're going to give it up and become significant. So then significance becomes a foundation for your legacy. So really that little book and it's 30 chapters, three pages each. The first two, because there's 10 foundational levels, elements. So the first two chapters in each is me teaching. The third chapter is me sharing some of my most transformational personal stories. So there's, there's 10 sections, three chapters each. First two is teaching. The third one is a story related to my life. And real simple, you can read them in six or seven minutes. All my books are like that because I wrote them for people who don't like to read. Because the, the, the people who are struggling the most, and they're not the only people who need to read more, but the people who I want to talk to a lot, the most frontline entry-level, blue-collar folks, they don't read a lot. Most of them have never, even John talks about, just in general, most people who graduate college, 30% of them have never read another book. Same thing for high school, there's 30 to 40% for both stats. Somebody who graduates high school never reads another book. 30 to 40% somebody graduates college never reads another book. But entry-level, frontline, blue-collar people, hardly any of them ever read another book. And so I wrote my books, 30 chapters, three pages each, most all of them. The first two were not like that, but everyone since has been. And it's so people can read them and digest them easy. And people love them. They buy stacks of them because they say, oh, these are easy. I can read those. And guess why I write them? I want somebody to read it. But see, some people think I got to write a big, thick, fat book, so somebody'll think I know something. And I'm like, write a little book, and stack twelve of them together, and you'll have you'll you'll have some stuff. You know what I'm saying? But people That's gonna read the little books.
0: That's what I'm talking about. This, Mac, I, I, there's so many nuggets uh, that you've dropped. Wow, guys, and in, in here, let me. I'm gonna go back and thread through, um, so I don't have to repost it. But here is where you can get all of this content that you're hearing. The great thing about Mac, you're gonna hear it in his books. So he practices what he preaches and what you're hearing now, you're getting for free. But if you want some more, go and buy the book. Uh, but I'm, I'm just telling you, this is, this is uh, Mac, this was more than what I, I, I intended it to be, but I knew it was gonna be something like this. Um, this has been great. I it's eight fifteen. Um, I could go another hour, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and and, and uh, call it a night. I know it's nine fifteen there, Mac. This has been good. I have you back on again. Um, what's what, what you know outside of Yale in October? Can you just let everybody know what are you doing over the next few months? Is there a new book coming out? A, a new. Um, system your, your your you know some new content what's going on with you over the next few months
1: Ria's about to release a new book I just released one actually I was mowing along today and thinking about the, the next one I'm going to write but I, I'm not gonna do it just yet but uh week after next like I, I think I shared with y'all, it's gonna be with the Navy in San Diego we're doing 10 half day workshops uh, as soon as we get back from there we we're going to a uh, uh, water resources department uh we got three things coming up. And we're going to another, a chamber of commerce. They, they hired us in, they do, they get 50 to 75, hundred business owners. We're going to do a full day workshop on, on change happens and, uh, uh leadership gems. Ria's book. We've got September 26th or 27th. And I can't remember everything but off the top of my head, but I'm just rattling off some of the big things, but that was, uh, we're doing a transformational leadership workshop. Uh, hosted by Association for Talent Development in Atlanta. It's going to be a day and a half. And a lot of it's going to be based on the principles I just shared with you uh, from the 10 foundational elements of intentional transformation. So they go to the ATD uh, or TD.org is that website. Also, they can go to Top Story Leadership and look under events, and they can find out any of our public events. We don't put all – most everything we do is private, so we don't don't really –
0: Publicize it. Right, right.
1: Yeah, all of those. So it don't look like there's a lot on there, but it's because we don't do a lot of public stuff. But the public things we actually do are on there. We're actually going up uh, September 10th, 11th. We're going to be in Lansing, Michigan, talking to about 15 or 20 prison wardens for a two-hour session on maximize your leadership potential. They go through a nine-month program every year uh, called the uh, Wardens Exchange. And we kicked it off last year, Rhea did, uh, in, in San Francisco and we toured San Quentin with the wardens and stuff like that. And then this year we're going to be at the graduation of the one this year. And we are actually speaking together for a couple hours. Uh, just got a call yesterday, just sharing some stuff with you and had, had some leaders. Actually the company that I told the story about that I resigned from in 2008, 10 years ago, I just got an invitation from one of the operations directors who's over several plants. And I'm actually been invited. Rhea and I are speaking October 30th in Auburn, Alabama, to their uh, plant managers meeting. And they're going to have 37 people there, mostly the directors. This is a like a two, three billion dollar company. So all the, the top level leaders of this company of the, across the country and the plant managers and, and Mexico included are going to be there. And, and they're hungry for leadership. And what's cool is they want to know what great leadership looks like. And so we're going to get to tell them what it looks like in a lot of places that, that we support, like Chick-fil-A has been a client of ours. Uh, i talk to them a lot about Barry Waymiller and, and Bob Chapman. So we, we got, you know, people ask us sometimes, that's funny. I get these people that contact me on LinkedIn. They say, how do, you know, I want to, they want me to become their client. And they say, you know, we, we can automate or whatever, helping you find clients. And, you know, sometimes people actually send me a personal message and I say, I don't, I don't need any help i'm trying to keep up i just answer the phone and reply to emails that's how i get business i don't chase business and i don't want to ever chase business so we got we got a lot of stuff going on we're booking out in in 2019 and i mean literally it's just it's just coming and and awesome hey i got one quote i want to leave you with oh please 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 it came from the north american director. Uh, of Goodyear, the guy who's over everything about Goodyear in North America. His name's Billy Taylor. Rhea and I spoke in Orlando, and he come up and talked at the end. It was so cool, Marcus. He said, he said, I just come in here to give you a business card of somebody on my team who told Rhea they were going to be here, but they were not able to. And they had to leave early, and and I, they, they asked me if I would just come in and give her her card or after y'all spoke. He said, and I come in, and I'm in the back doing emails. And he said, y'all started talking. I had to start paying attention. And then he said, I had to sit down and start taking notes. He said, I speak all over the world, and I've been to you know thousands of conferences. He said, I don't get anything from speakers anymore. He said, but I'm being honest with you. I started taking notes. And he said, I ain't even got time to talk to you, but I had to come give you this card. And he still stayed and talked for two hours. I mean, one hour. And he, he wants to get us into some of the, the plants at, at Goodyear. And But his name's Billy Taylor. And he said what I'm about to tell you, and this is the way I am. He said it. I didn't forget it, but I wrote it. I always take, I said, I pulled out my phone. I said, I got to put that in my quote file, Billy. And he says, this is wicked stuff right here, but we've been talking about it all night. But he says, in the absence of ownership comes blame. And I'm like, oh, that's so good, Billy. I got to write that down. And I put it in my new book on teamwork, but it's the same thing we've been talking about. We got to own it. In the absence of ownership comes blame. Cause see, when I own it, there's nobody to blame. I just
0: got to make it happen. That's good. I just, uh, and I'm about to post it. I was just typing that down. Billy Taylor in the absence of ownership comes blame.
1: That's some good stuff that's, right there. That, that's some good stuff.
0: That's true. Accountability. That's when you don't have it, you're going to blame. And I, I, that's, yeah, we're getting a whole lot of reactions on that one. That's a good one. And Mac, I think that's what, um, I wanted to drive home on, this call is that you have to own your destiny. You have to own your passion. You have to own what you have been given giving charge over. Whether you're a parent, a husband, a wife, uh, an employee, whatever that is, you've got to own it and own it. No excuses, own it. And Mac, that, that, I think that's a great way to end the night. That's I think you're spot on. And, guys, I'm just telling you the reason why he's been so successful, Mac owns it. He owns everything. He owns it. Um, yeah, I don't I, – I. and, Mac, I'll be honest with you. I think in the – since we met in 2010, I have to honestly say I have never, ever seen you give an excuse. I'm just looking back and I'm just thinking on our conversations. I don't think I've ever even heard you give something even remotely an excuse. You own it all.
1: Yeah, I don't believe I don't believe in excuses, because <laughs> because of my integrity. As soon as I make an excuse, that means I'm not responsible. And I'm telling you, Mac, Mac's story is responsible. That's, Whatever's going wrong in my life, I'm responsible for it. And I don't blame people because it's wasting my time and energy. I just got to figure out regroup and, and what am I going to do? What am I going to do different? Guys, and I'm just I'm telling you, we don't ever have arguments. They ain't never been arguments throughout this turmoil because she owns it too. We both. She says it's her fault. I say it's my fault. So we all we got to do is just take care of business. It's, I don't blame her. She ain't blame me. And it's just the way it is.
0: God. dog. Oh. <laughs> wow, yeah. We're going to have both of you on. We're going to touch on that. That's wow. Uh, yeah, we're going to touch on that. We got to bring you guys back on as a guest and from a husband and wife.
1: I, I know I know you got to go. You want to hear that Rafter story? Cause I don't want to keep yeah, you from yeah, your family. Tell everybody about it so they can hear. Because it fits right here in the absence of ownership comes blame. So Ria <laughs> and I share this from the stage and, I, and we're really gonna have to go after this one because I know you got your family time and, and you want to go. And so we tell this story from the stage. Rhea actually tells it and then I make it funny, funny make fun of myself and some stuff. So we tell this story about going rafting. And Rhea explains that we went on this rafting trip. It's only been a few years ago. So the first day we went on a nice calm, we got in a two person kayak and we, we going down a nice calm creek. You just kind of float, you don't have to do anything. and It was just wonderful and, and but I wanted some action. So the next day we go up to North Carolina to this place called the Nanahala River. And it's a little more white water. And at the end there's actually a class three rapid where they got bleachers and people watch. Even people in big rafts turn over at the class three rapid sometime. And the people in the kayaks definitely do a lot of times. And so we decided we're going to do that so we get out get it scheduled we go get out get on the river and she's like you want to practice before we just head down the river and i'm like no we got this and and, and she says i don't know i've never really done much two-person kayak and she says the person in the back is supposed to steer so i got a paddle with one blade on it got a handle on one end and a blade on the other end she's in the front and that person gets a double-bladed oar paddle so all you got to do is just flip flop and you it's easy to switch from side to side. But in the back, I got the single blade. So I had to switch hands and, and everything. Right. So we start down the river and the boat, you know, it's white water and all kind of crazy. And the boats going sideways. And I'm trying to get her to steer. I'm trying to steer, but I couldn't do it by myself. And, and I'm like, paddle on the right, paddle on the left. And she's not doing it. And we, it's just ain't working. And, and you no, know, I'm thinking all this stuff I learned. I got, I don't want to get reactive. I don't want to get angry. I don't want to get mad. And I'm like, let, let's just pull over. And I, I get out. You You can go down the river. I, I'm i trying to stay married, right? <laughs> Cause if you, if you know my track record, I, I got a bad tracker track record of that before I met Rhea, but we've been together 18 years. So I'm, I was liking it. So I want to stay married. She says, yeah. no, you can't get out. We got to We got to go. So this whole time I'm back here frustrated and, and she's, trying to i don't know if she's trying to steer or not i think she's not trying to steer i don't know what she's doing but i'm like (laughs) right what we just talked about about in the absence of ownership comes blame and i'm trying not to blame her i'm trying to say and i was saying it how is this my fault i'm in the back she's in the front the boat's going sideways she can help how is it my fault and what i'm trying to do is take ownership and i'm trying to figure out though how? How is it my fault? If I'm in the front, I just start steering. Nobody would have to tell me it'd be automatic. So I'm asking my subconscious, i of all this stuff. give give me something and it was cool. It came from 2008, but it wasn't because I remembered it from 2008. It's because I listened to this a thousand times that one hour audio of the seven habits. And so it was like Dr. Covey whispered in my ear. He says, never delegate methods, only results. As soon as that hit, it was like, never, get, never delegate methods, only results. What have I been doing the whole time? Paddle on the right, paddle faster, paddle on the left. Well, not yet. Hold on. Now paddle on the left, paddle on the right. Constantly directing, giving her direction. I was delegating methods the entire time. As soon as I had that thought, and I knew, as soon as I had it, I knew it was my fault. I was like, see that big rock? See the smooth spot on the left? Let's go there. And I delegated results, right? Go there. Go to the left of that rock. As soon as I did that, the kayak just turned and we went straight over there. And I was like, it is my fault. But if I wouldn't have knew that, Marcus, I'd have Mm -hmm. got out of that boat. When I did it out loud, I probably knew better than that. But in my mind, I would have still thought it was her fault. Because in my mind, I already thought it was her fault. But I was challenging myself that, If I want to be the owner, it's my fault, no matter what it looks like or what it's going on. It's got to be my fault.
0: And so I just kept
1: searching for what is it that I'm not doing right? And as soon as that happened, it was obvious it wasn't my fault. That's the greatest lesson from that principle that I ever learned. I was already doing it in the past, but at that moment I wasn't doing it because my emotions were getting the best of me. I was getting angry because I didn't want to get dumped in that water (laughs) and it was cold and rough and I never got dumped in the water. And we got a picture of us going through that class three it looked like somebody timed it on purpose she's like this I'm like that I mean our paddles are like if you put a, a protractor on them they like the same exact angle it was just wicked and she makes the joke and she said yeah when we got out he said let's go do it again and I make um, the joke I say that's because that's I got to train now right but, <laughs> but really who's trained is me wow but but that was that's a good example of saying i'm the leader regardless of what's going on and even if you can't figure out how to fix it if you still want to take ownership it's still your fault and that's when you got to say this happened today because i don't know something i need to know wow and and that's humility and that's that's saying whatever's wrong in your life whatever's wrong with my business whatever's wrong anywhere if i'm the leader it's because there's something that i don't know if i can't fix it it don't mean it's somebody else's fault it still means it's my fault. That's why I read books every day because there's a lot of stuff that ain't right in my life still. I'm not at the level I want to be at. I'm not speaking where I want to speak at. I'm not being sought after by the people I want to be sought after by. But I'm getting there, right? We talked about I'm making progress. But everything that don't happen, I don't blame the market. I don't blame I don't blame anybody. I, I blame me for not knowing something.
0: Mac, this has been... Again that story and then what you just tied into it that right there is enough I'm gonna be peeling that off and probably posting that on Instagram. What you just said. I think is phenomenal own it own it just own it and If, if it's my fault, it's because there's something I don't know and that's what should always push people to continue to be a Constant learner a, a learner for
1: life. Absolutely. If, if I think it's somebody else's fault, it's because there's something I don't know. Wow. Or, or I know it and I'm not doing it. One, wow. of, the, one of those two.
0: Yep. This is good stuff, Mag.
1: Man, I, I, I've, had, I've had fun, Marcus. It's, it's, I'm, it's, I'm, I, hey, you know what? They need to know. This is whenever we talk on the phone, it's no different. It's the same exact. Oh, yeah. Conversation.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, guys. I'm just letting you all know um, when you hear this. This is the same kind of conversations we have, um, this dialogue. So um, you want to reach out to Mac, you know how to do it, bluecollarleadership.com. Great guy, doing some amazing things. We'll have his wife on in two weeks, Blended Family Playbook um, listeners. So I'm excited. Mac, thank you for giving me the last 90 minutes of of, uh, your time. This has been awesome. Thank
1: you so much. My pleasure, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Anybody watching the news, they they know we all need to be better. Our got country, our, our world, is, everybody needs to go to the next level and beyond. You don't, got it. Don't play small. It's time to play tall. Whatever that means. Next level. It. Thank you, Marcus. This is good, Mac. Thank you again. Hey,
0: we'll be talking soon. Thank you so much, man. This has been this has just been great. All right. All right. Have a good evening. All right. Okay. All right.